0: Hi, this is James Devine and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague, Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches.
1: Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear, thanks for listening. My next guest is Adrian Gordon. Adrian is an active performer, composer and music educator living in charlotte north carolina his colorful compositions are captivating for musicians of all ages from very easy to advanced levels over the years gordon has written several acclaimed works for string orchestra such as apocalypse and the song of the ocean winds to name a few adrian takes pride in creating music that is fun and pedagogically sound at all levels mr gordon currently serves as the orchestra director at providence day school in charlotte north carolina he received his B.A. in music from the University of Miami and his master's degree in music education at Florida International University. In addition to teaching, Mr. Gordon is a composer with Alfred Music Publishing and the founder of Leap Year Music Publishing, which publishes string music for elementary, middle and high school ensembles. His compositions appear on the California, Florida, Texas, Maryland and Georgia Orchestra Association Music Performance Assessment lists. His compositions are also distributed through J.W. Pepper and have been performed throughout the world. Adrian resides in Charlotte with his wife Kelly and their two sons. Welcome to the podcast, Adrian.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Dana.
1: Well, I connected with you because I have heard you on another podcast, uh, um, James Devine's podcast, and you know he's also a music educator, and I haven't had that many music educators on my podcast. Uh, So I'm excited to talk with you uh, about your composition and your music publishing. But let's start off with uh, the question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out.
0: Well, I would say that was in my last position, my previous position. I was in a tough spot and Mm -hmm. kind of was the genesis for writing the book, Um, but I had been in several different positions before, different roles, and was quite successful, what I deemed quite successful. But as I transitioned into that position, things were difficult, and I had to really sit down and think about why were things so difficult here. So I was journaling. I was conversing with my best friend. um, I was just trying to flesh out all these ideas on why am I having a hard time during this transition. And through all of that, I started coming up with um, the ideas for the book. But in that particular um, transition, I was in a tough spot where I guess that that particular school was not very accepting of my outlook on education. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, very much of the mindset that students can achieve um, and Mm -hmm. we have to assume that they can achieve, not assume that they can't. Um, And regardless of where they are, you meet them where they are, you know, and in my case, being a musician, a music educator, whether they're playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or playing a major symphony, we expect for those students to reach their personal best and we don't we don't set the standard low for them. So the previous school that I was at was not very fond of that kind of thinking. And I just kind of equated it to when we install lights in our house or when we light a candle, we expect to get light.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: don't install lights in our house to turn them off to, or to always have them off. Just as when you are enlisting in the discipline of music, it is meant to be played and played to be recognizable and, and played well. Um, and unless you set those standards and meet kids where they are and expect and assume that you can do this, yeah. Um, I think it's kind of a disservice. So the outlook that the school was having was, um, you know, in my opinion, quite toxic and not appreciative of what I was trying to offer the kids. And I had to really think about my own worth um, as mm-hmm. a professional and decide whether or not that was an environment that I wanted to stay in. Um, and I, I learned a lot from that position and and that did help me write a lot of the book. Um, and hopefully offer value and and help to others who are in similar situations. But um, yeah, that was probably a time where it was quite toxic and I had to figure out, um, you know, catch my bearings and figure out what I wanted to do.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about your book, Note to Self, um, and a little bit. I wanted to talk, though, about how you got started playing music, um, what age you got started with and maybe what instrument you started with.
0: Yeah, I started pretty young. I started probably when I was, I want to say maybe eight years old or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would sit and watch my mom play piano. I can still—I was telling my wife the other day. I can. I was pulling up some of the uh, the pieces she used to play on piano, and I can. It, it's so vivid. I can even smell mm-hmm. dinner in the kitchen and, <laughs> and watching her and, and listening to her play and her going back and forth between playing piano and cooking dinner so those those memories are quite fun and vivid um, but I would watch her play piano um, and I would sit and try and mimic what she was doing and I I got pretty good at it and um, I guess they noticed that I had my my parents noticed I had some talent in music so they forced me into a magnet music program uh, when I was in uh, sixth grade and from mm-hmm. there it just kind of blossomed so I was playing piano I also was singing Uh, quite a bit in in a chorus and I was then I got shoved into a magnet music program and started playing violin
1: and we We didn't have a lot of
0: money but um, I had to teach myself how to play and it just kind of stuck and all throughout my middle school and high school years I played um, and then I was also I was in a a choir in high school and then I started picking up guitar in high school as well um, and then that led into being in a band and you know so there's just so many natural uh, progressions yeah. uh, for me to be involved with music uh, and those opportunities were there in school and outside of school so it just kind of stuck and then I ended up going to University of Miami and studying music um, I was a, a music business major and then I, I had my violin as the principal instrument um, so it just it kind of just stuck with me, and I I couldn't picture doing anything else.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely something that you've had throughout uh, you being raised and going into that magnet school. And you know, as I told you, I've been I've been in choir since uh, middle school, but uh, mm-hmm. did not go into music as as my profession. <laughs> but am still involved, you know, heavily in choirs, and you know, that's a large part of my okay. life. You know, I'd love to have been able to play more than just, you know, a little bit of my voice part on the piano, but, right. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, um, I,
0: I, I share that with my students too. Yeah. You know, as you get older, the body ages. You can't do all sure. the sports and physical activities that you're doing when you're young, but you can always sing and play your instrument. You know, that's yeah. something yeah. to think about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I'll
1: tell me about um, the age of your students at Providence Day School. And um, you have some compositions on your website, so uh, talk to me. I talked a little bit in your bio about some of those, but um, did you start writing compositions more for kids um, that you teach, or was it just more for just teachers in general to use?
0: Um, well, the first composition I did was back in when I was in seventh grade. I just started mm-hmm. scribbling stuff in you know, a uh, uh, staff staff pad that I had yeah. um, but once I finished uh, college I I always said you know I would love to write stuff like quartets and, and music like that and I just took a stab at it when I finished um, college and it kind of stuck uh, you know and I had to learn all the instruments um, and once I understood the ranges and the capabilities of all the instruments. I felt like, hey, you know all this information. Why not write music Mm -hmm. for these instruments? So I ended up just starting writing stuff. I wrote a, I think I wrote a trio, which was one of my first pieces for two violins and cello. And then I started writing something for a string orchestra. And the most exciting part was hearing it played by other people. Mm -hmm. So when I first started, I had no intention really I, don't, well, I guess I, I thought about, hey, maybe what if I compose something and I sent it to one of these major publishing houses. Um, so I would put it in front of the students blind. They didn't know it was my. my okay. And I wanted to get a reaction and see what they thought of the piece. Um, and they enjoyed it. They were enjoying the music. Mm-hmm. And then I would, in turn, send it to these publishing houses just to see what they thought and see if it was something that they'd be interested in publishing. But I would keep getting these resounding no's, like, no, mm-hmm. we're not interested in your material. And I'm thinking, what's the disconnect between what the students are doing in the classroom and what people in these um, boardrooms are, are seeing yeah. in the publishing house? So I got frustrated and I said, you know what? I And not in a conceited way, I think what I'm doing is special. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of the work that I'm putting out. And to me, it seems as special as something like a Leap Beer. Yeah. So that's where I kind of started thinking about being the change that I wanted to see in my own life. And hey, why not come up with your own publishing company called Leap Beer Music? So I started making Leap Beer Music and pushing my own music out there because I was just kind of in love with the process and also hearing um, what was once in my head out in the world. Um, and, you know, fast forward with 13, 14 years later, um, I've been publishing my own work and uh, putting all that stuff out through Leap Your Music. So that's been the, the process, that, the path that I've taken.
1: But then you've also had uh, JW Pepperd uh, pick up a lot of your music as well that you sell through their site.
0: Yeah. So they're um, my biggest distributor um, or vendor uh, for the music that I that I write. Um but, and I have a couple other, several uh, other vendors around the country that will, uh, will sell my music, and then I also sell it online. Um, and it's been, it's been a pleasure to see a lot of it popping up online on, on YouTube, different groups, um, soloists playing some of my stuff. Uh, I was very fortunate just the other day to have uh, one of my solo pieces for violin performed by a great violinist named Rachel Barton Pine. Mm. So I felt really honored by that to hear my music out in the world and people appreciating it. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel humbled by stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, just gonna keep, uh, you know, being being played and more music is gonna get out there as time goes yeah. on. And yeah, that's gotta be exciting. Um, so you mentioned that you compose a lot of string music. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do mostly um, classical style or are there other styles of music that you compose?
0: Well, so I compose music for elementary, middle, and high school, um, and it's basically in the educational realm. Um, although, you know, I, what music isn't educational? Uh, you could One could argue. Um, but yeah, so it's for elementary, middle, and high. And a lot of it is straightforward, traditional style, but I do have a few pieces which kind of push more into the contemporary realm that almost feel like uh, cinematic. Um, mm-hmm. One of the pieces that you mentioned, Apocalypse. You know, it's kind of my, one of my darker works where it's really cool to play, I think. And from what I've heard from students, it's a string orchestra piece that mixes strings with a bass drum, so it has this mm-hmm. very ominous, dark sound, and it sounds like it's straight out of a movie. Um, so there's stuff like that that you know I also compose um, that's not strictly you know classical. So I try mm-hmm. and mix it up a bit to keep it interesting. Um, and fun for students at all levels. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. And so you do, in in your classes, have kids that are uh, from beginners to seasoned players like yourself when you were that age?
0: Yeah, Uh, so I have some really uh, beginning stuff that maybe like a a student who's been playing three, four or five months can play and stuff that advanced groups can play. And that's the idea just to be engaging with all levels of students. And it keeps my brain fresh Mm -hmm. and keeps me on my toes as a teacher. I think what what helps is being an educator uh, in the classroom. I'm also a conductor and then a composer. And all three roles kind of inform one another and help me be better at the other. So I feel like I'm a better conductor because I'm also a music educator. I'm a better music educator because I'm a composer and so on and so forth. So all those roles help uh, help with my career and, and help me be a better musician. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you also do
1: workshops um, on your website that there's information about them, but is this mostly something where you're um, maybe teaching uh, about some of the pieces that you've uh, composed or is it um, conducting? Tell me a little bit about what you do either virtually or in person for other schools.
0: Yeah, I've done both, which is a lot of fun. I, I was just recently, uh, this week actually, was able to work with a school. A lot of schools will call me or contact me, email me and say, hey, we'd love for you to come work with our students on uh, some of your music, which is always a huge honor. And I'll get to do some coaching and and do rehearsal with them, give feedback, uh, do Q&A with them. and just offer a unique perspective that you don't normally get to hear from a living composer. And a lot of the times our kids are playing music from people who have long gone and they don't get to hear that unique perspective of why did I do something like this as opposed to something like that Mm -hmm. so that's always special for the kids to be able to meet the composer and get a really up up close and personal um interpretation of the music Mm -hmm. so yeah I do a lot of that and um yeah and I I like them both I like it online um a lot of times I'll have the uh, conductor, they'll be my my proxy, and they will lead the ensemble and I can uh, work with the students and uh, kind of point out things that need to be fixed or things that they're doing really well that um, are really meeting my intention. Um, and then the students can always ask me questions, which is a lot of fun too, to hear what what they're thinking about the music. And then same thing in person. In person is great because I get to actually conduct and, and really uh, work and coach the students up close to personal, person, which I really enjoy that too. Um, so I do a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of that for the past couple of years now. And it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, just thinking about that. Sometimes with some of the pieces we sing in my core I'd love to be able to ask some of those composers who are still right. around, they just live other voices, you know, why they made that certain arrangement for that part? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, some of the notes that just clash with the other voice parts and they do it, did, did right. it for a certain reason. Right. Right. But yeah. It's like and, it would be nice was, to know.
0: <laughs> and that's the great thing about our, our evolving technology where we can meet virtually and I can, um, Explain a lot of those ideas to the students, um, you know. So that's that's been a lot of fun. You know, it doesn't have to be. Oh, you live across the country; we can't talk to you. No, we can meet up uh, in real time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, you have your book on the screen behind you, uh, "Note to Self: A Music Director's Guide for Transitioning to a New School Built- School and Building a Thriving Music Program." So you talked a little bit in your trend story about what uh, personal stories you brought to the book. Um, but also, what what does it lead in terms of, or what does it lend in terms of your um, somebody who is moving to a school that might not have much of a music program, or has a music program that's being um, defunded, or has lost a lot of interest in recent years? What what people to be able to find in your book about that? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts. At www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get well, back to the episode.
0: Um, the first thing I would I would say is probably think about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know that that seems counterintuitive, but first, taking care of yourself because the yeah. job won't take care of you. Uh, so, as uh, music educators and as educators in general, we have to think about self care, um, which is not really talked about a lot, but. Teaching is so hard and it's so demanding uh, physically and emotionally and mentally all day, every day. We rarely just leave work at work. Um, So I would say for one, think about taking care of yourself. Um, And then after that, think about your purpose, why you're doing what you're doing. Remember that you're in the field of people and that you're there to um, help students and uh, care for, for students. Um, and then music happens to be the vehicle to do that. Um, and then beyond that, there's some real practical things that we can do as educators to prepare uh, prepare ourselves. But I go through some of those things in the book, like connecting with your outgoing director if you possibly can, so you can get a little background on where the program has been, where you intended it to go, and it didn't go, or it did go. Um also, I think one of the big things is is helpful is yearbook study. It goes a long way to know quite a few names when you show up on day one, um, students and um, faculty uh, to know who who to find and where to go. Uh, so I think that's also really helpful. Uh, I also advocate for finding a mentor, even if it's not within your department, just somebody that knows the culture, um, knows the you know, the layout of the building and, and how things are done um, and connecting with that person, writing things down, uh, making sure that you're absorbing as much as you can from them. Um, and then I also talk about in the book, like developing a beginning of the year checklist. So you're not completely overwhelmed. A lot of times, you know, as educators, we go in on the first couple of days and the first thing your administrators do, which mind you, they would never ask students to do is they sit you down in meetings all day and you're expected to just sit there and absorb all yeah. this material. And the whole time you're feeling really nervous about getting your, your classroom ready and getting everything ready to go. Um, so I I advocate going through your checklist um, and making sure that you're not having all these stray ideas and being able to knock them out um, one at a time. So I, I provide a checklist in the book uh, that, that helps teachers kind of focus what they're gonna do and work on when they get uh, get to school. Um, And I also advocate for doing like a a meet and greet with the students if you can ahead of time, like a promotional video that introduces yourself if you can't make it there ahead of time, um, or a welcome letter that kind of talks about who you are as an educator, your your history and um, what your outlook is and, and stating your vision and also getting uh, students and uh, and even parents involved with mm-hmm. the vision and, and agreeing to here's where we're going um, and getting everybody signed in signed on to that. So those are just a couple of things that I would recommend that I, I go through in the book um, about starting off a brand new school year.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, podcast will be released uh, close to the beginning of the school year and that's definitely um, you know so worthy things to know whether or not you've uh, just started um, your career or you're uh, a veteran teacher just transitioning to a new school, right? And I like that yearbook study. I think that would apply to everybody when they get hired at a yeah. school, just to kind of know. Yeah, there might be a certain amount of turnover, but try to get a hold of a yearbook yeah. and see. Also, like, lets you know a lot about the clubs and like um any mm-hmm. school with the performing arts, you know then how many uh different um, orchestras and ensembles they have. Um and you might not be able to find all that out on the website or the the uh interview. So um yeah it's definitely right. good looking into those then, things. So, yeah.
0: Yeah and then also for yeah particularly for music educators, I advocate for seeing if you can get a hold of um some past concert program booklets and that's going to be a great idea as to the level that the students are playing at so when you're coming in you're not of course you're gonna have to do your own diagnostic but you can kind of tell okay we're in this range maybe a grade one to grade two for this type of group um and i'm not coming in completely you know off guard and blind so that's another helpful tip uh for for teachers who are starting out the school year
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great tips great tips um so a lot of the music educators that i know or have interviewed for the podcast um i know that they have that certain um niche or something special that helps them stand apart uh, as great presenters uh people that put on professional development and as yourself um sometimes authors uh, so what what in your mind sets music educators apart to be able to um be great prisoners and writers and speakers?
0: Hmm. Well, I think um, music as a discipline in and of mm-hmm. itself requires us to be in front of an audience and yeah. you know, music is meant to be heard. So I think we have that kind of edge uh, from other disciplines because we are literally <laughs> meant to be in front of other people um, to play and to be heard and to share. Now it's just a matter of changing mediums. You know, if you're gonna be doing presenting, it's not necessarily with an instrument, but you're still taking on that same role of engaging an audience and sharing ideas and sharing experience uh, on your, from your craft with them. And I think another part of it is just practice. You know, I, from what I've learned over the past several years, I'm not the best public speaker, uh, but what I've had to do is sit and write down everything that I want to talk about so that my bl- my mind doesn't go completely blank Yeah, and I have some resemblance of, okay, exactly what I'm going to say up on stage. And even if I miss, you know, a line or two here, here and there, at least I have a general idea. Um, mm-hmm. and I think an interesting and educational concert requires us as music educators to talk to um. Our audience and let them know about what happened in the classroom that developed uh, this piece from one point to the next, why this this piece was important to us, what we learned, all those things that you generally want to tell your audience um, so that they get a little bit more context and appreciation for what you're playing. Um, I think it just requires that practice and that intentionality uh, before you get up on stage. So I think that's a big part of it too, just the, the practice of it.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also uh you have that longevity piece if you're at a school for a while you see the growth in students um i've taught Mm -hmm. french and so if kids take that over several years you see that growth as well but like um if you're teaching uh just seventh grade language arts for example you know you don't really see that so as as a uh, band or orchestra teacher like especially k-12 in the same school you're definitely seeing growth um, and having that connection with the student last for, for many years.
0: Yeah, that's one of the privileges of being in a program like like I, I'm in. Um, you really get to see development from the beginning stages. And, and me particularly because I'm uh, at a K through 12 school. So mm-hmm. I, st- I see the kids in fifth grade and I go with them all the way through 12th grade, which is really cool. I get to see them grow as people and as musicians. Um, and it's exciting. And uh, it's a unique perspective that I think a lot of academic teachers don't get. Mm
1: -hmm. So, uh,
0: yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of of education as well.
1: We've talked a lot about your growth as an educator and some of your stories you wrote about in your book, uh, some of your compositions and how you got started playing music. Out of everything we've discussed on the podcast today, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember?
0: Um. I, I always try and tell my myself and my colleagues and my friends that um, it's important to give yourself grace um, yeah. in our profession because the profession won't grant it to you. Um, I think it's important to give yourself grace, realize that as an educator, things aren't going to end up and go exactly how you'd like them to go immediately. It's going to take time. It's a process, yeah. uh, particularly in, in my field uh, as a music educator, if you're an instrumental director, it takes typically, and I talk about this in the book, about three to five years to develop a program that is truly yours. So it's not going to happen overnight. So you got to give yourself grace. Um, And then remember that there's no award for the most burnt out and stressed out teacher. So You got to take care of yourself. Uh, there's no, there's just no reward. There's no raise. There's, there's no, you know, extra bonus for being the most stressed out and burnt out teacher. Um, so set those boundaries uh, that you need to, to take care of yourself. And if things fall, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. At least you have your health and at least you have your sanity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also like, if you're in a concert and kids mess up, um, the audience usually does not know, so, you right. know, they <laughs> yeah. might not know the piece that well, you know, it's like my we have a choir concert tomorrow and it's like, you know, these minimal things or somebody, one person in the choir holds a note too long, you know, and the whole scheme of things. That's not right. going to be, like, what they remember from the concert,
0: so. Yeah, you know, your general public isn't a trained musician. They just sort yeah. of are out there to enjoy and and really soak in what you're, you're putting out there. And most of the time, they're rooting for you, you know, so yeah. just take it in strides and, and just enjoy the process.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, where can people connect with you and find you online?
0: So the best way to find me online is through my website. It's uh, AdrianGordonmusic.com. And everything's there from my travel schedule to my book, to my compositions, anything that you want to know about me, it's up on AdrianGordonmusic.com. Great.
1: And are you on social media?
0: Yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, so friend me on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, okay. And I have a lot of videos up on YouTube if anyone wants to okay. check those out.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure getting to know you, finding out more about your career and what people can um, get from uh, both uh, compositions and from um, maybe getting some coaching and guest conducting. Thanks so much. Yeah.
0: I'm so appreciative of the invitation. Thank you, Dana.
1: My book, Out of the Trenches Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at OutOfTrenches.com.